Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning, Andrew. <laughs> goodly, goodly morning to you, sir. We're doing this, are we? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Taking it back to the old school. How, how how are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, watched uh, watched some FA Cup last night. We're through to the fourth round. Got a big team in the next round as well. Feels familiar to me, you know, as someone who's seen an FA Cup campaign or two in my time, mm. you know, that that whole thing of facing a big team at some point in the FA Cup is is very familiar. But been down that road before. Mm. We certainly have. Yes. It's 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 um it's not the draw I would have chosen. Let's no. put it like that. I would have chosen to play Crunklington Town. Sure. I mean, my hometown, Boreham Wood, they're still in the hat for the fourth round because they've got a replay to come. Let's have them. You know that what I mean? would have been. Can we not change it at this point? It seems unfair that we can't just say, no, come on. Yeah. That's not right. You know, we're playing them in the league in a couple of weeks. It's not fair on anyone. Like, think of the no wider football public. Exactly. Exactly. They want to see the us magic play. of the cup. Yeah. The magic of the cup is playing Cr- Crunkleton Town or Crunkleton Boreham Wood. Town. Versus Arsenal is what should be on TV. Exactly. You know I mean? Exactly. You know, give the small teams their their moment in the sun. You know, the magic of the cup, the, the commentators. Yeah. Commentators saying, what a story this would be for Crunklington Town to, to beat the mighty Arsenal, who, who, by the way, don't have any European football this season to contend with so they can focus on the FA Cup and the and the draw against Crunklington Town. Crunklington Town's players are all part-time. They've all got other jobs. One's a stripper, one's a murderer. <laughs> is and murderer a job? Is that not it a- is for this guy. He's very professional. I mean, is that not it. assassin? Yeah, and then there's the, the featurette, you know, before the game where Robbie Savage goes murdering with him and they talk about, you know, his day-to-day life. And how you know, do you choose who you murder? Yeah, Th- that's the that's what people want to watch. Not Manchester City and Haaland and Foden and De Bruyne, Silver and Thingamy Face and what's it? You know, no. Riyad Mar wheeling out Riyad Mahrez for the FA Cup to smash in thirty yarders. Typical. We've all seen it before. We don't need it now, and we don't need it again. Disband the whole competition. I think that's what we're we're getting to here. I think this year they should end the cup at this point. And if you're in the fourth round, you get a trophy. I think that's I think that's a great idea. Yeah, you know, well, everyone shares the trophy uh, this year for fourteen and a half days. You get to say your FA Cup winner because of the World Cup in Qatar. It's an exceptional year, and so the FA have decided. 
to end the tournament at the fourth round. Isn't it a bit mad that there there are replays though? Still, this is what I'm saying. You know, knock it's it on mad. the head. We've all that we had a lovely weekend. Aston Villa went out to someone team that weren't very good. Stevenage. Stevenage. Thank you. Close to you should know that. Yeah. Um, and Crunklington Town's heroics, of course, continued. That's it. We've seen it now. That's enough FA Cup. Draw a line under it, I say. Fair enough. Let's uh, let's look forward then to the North London Derby <laughs> uh, this Sunday. Hey, look, it is no, what it is. We we can. It's a bad draw for Man City. Am I right? They'll be yeah, worried. They will. They will. And you know, uh, we we just have to deal with what the football gods, the fates, the authorities. The FA, all of them. They're just throwing shit at us the whole time and we're swatting it away, batting it away like the like the professionals that we are. And, January. Um, they're calling January the new November when you look at that fixture list. Mm. It's, it's tasty stuff. <laughs> but um, no, listen, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a good day out at the Etihad. Are you though? So I'll see you all at Wembley, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll go on ahead. Meet us there. Yeah. <laughs> um, we meet Crunklington in the final, a glorious final. Yeah, with their team of strippers and murderers and yeah. postmen and <laughs> bakers and all kinds. Exactly. What candlestick a win. Maker. What the a win it'll be. is a candlestick maker. <laughs> who's, um, who's 47 and weighs 19 stone. Yeah, he weirdly, he wears the same gloves for both. So the candles are really <laughs> ugly. <laughs> Uh, but the ball shaking. sticks to his hand every time there's a shot. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Who did we play yesterday? Oxford United. Oxford United, of course. Wasn't a great first half, was it, Andrew? Let's be honest. No, it really wasn't. It's one of those where the less said about that first half, the better. Because it was just, I mean, it was not too far from what I expected, to be honest. Well, speaking of expectations, let's rewind a little further. Were you let's. surprised um, by anything in the starting eleven? I suppose the slight surprise was the strength of the front three. Yeah, I think that. I Well, uh, I was surprised by that. I was a little surprised by it, but, you know, on reflection, if Emile Smith-Rowe is not fit to start, that means one of... Sack and Martinelli has to start. Yeah. And I'm not 100% convinced that Mikel Arteta views Marquinhos as much more than bench fodder sure. at this point. So I what think when Reese Nelson? Injured. Still injured, is he? Okay. Yeah. So, and there was no Cedric either. Wow. Not, not in the squad. Fulham are circling. Mm-hmm. Like the Sharks, they are. Um, so I think, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise in that, like, I would have preferred for them not to start, all of them, because they're so they're so precious and unique at this point. They're like they're like three diamonds that we have, and we don't have any more diamonds. And if we lose a diamond, where the hell are we going to get any more diamonds? We're just not. So... I was a bit surprised, but also when you look at the squad, I kind of understand it in a way. I mean, I saw people saying, 
well, this is a statement. Look, he's putting out these players. He's saying to the board, get me more players immediately. And I don't think it's necessarily that as much as a reflection of the squad and the players that we have available to us. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think... I'm just thinking about what else he could have done. Marquinhos for Saka, maybe. Or he could have played Martin Odegaard and played Vieira on the right. And even that would have been like, ooh, why are we playing him in this? You know, so I don't think there was any great solutions beyond, like, putting a bit of faith in Marquinhos. I mean, as discussed, we we don't have a lot of options, do we, right now? No. Um, You know, against Newcastle, we didn't really have a front three player to come off the bench. Um so maybe it shouldn't be a great surprise, particularly at centre-forward as well. You know, Eddie really is um, carrying that burden alone mm. at this point in time. So, but yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised, but then I think you can never be too surprised by Mikel Arteta naming a strong side in the Cups. However much I might want him to rest all those precious boys, however much uh, we collectively might want him to, mm. he does tend to go quite strong in cup competitions he does he does he takes these games seriously and i think and and i do think there's something to that just because when i was watching that first half and arsenal i think it's fair to say were struggling a little just with the surface with finding any kind of rhythm i sort of looked at this team and thought well not many of these players have played a cup tie quite like this and certainly haven't got vast experience of playing a cup tie quite like this. And maybe for young players, that is something that is valuable. And maybe Arteta thinks it could be valuable to them in their development and their ongoing career. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. And like I said a bit earlier, I think it was kind of what I expected in that Oxford were hardworking, they were organised, they were physical, the pitch was... Very bobbly. Very early on, I looked at the the first few passes across the pitch and went, oof, I think this might be difficult for us. Because, you know, when you play every weekend on immaculate lawn bowl style pitches and when you train every day on on, uh, immaculate pitches, it is something different, something difficult to get to grips with. I think Eddie and Keddie spoke about that after the game where he talked about the pitch being a little bit difficult um, in, in that first period. So the fact that it was a scrappy, uneventful kind of game wasn't a huge surprise. And I think you know, part of it was because we, we, we struggled to get a hold of things in, in midfield in that first period. It was, it was scrappier than I think Mikel Arteta would have liked. Yes, I think that's true. There were a couple of sort of early giveaways from Arsenal players. Mm. I remember one from Fabio Vieira in particular, where you sort of thought, ah, that this pitch isn't quite playing as they anticipated. Um, I thought that Arsenal, as the half wore on, did kind of get on top. But even when they got into the final third, some of the decision-making or the pass selection mm. uh wasn't quite there. There was one, I mean, where Tommy Astu went down the outside and had yeah. quite a good opportunity to cut it back, but could only find the keeper. Um, they were sort of fleeting moments. And Arsenal might feel they could have had a couple of penalties, potentially. Well, there, there was certainly one. Um, the shot that was, I mean, it was a great save. Great from save. The, great save from the defender. Um, I think he... There is talent he, down there. He in is. League one, he is. If you yeah, look for back, sure. you know. 
I mean, if anything so, happens... Very promising goalkeeper, that defender. If anything happens to the Crunklington Town uh, goalkeeper, he's he's the guy they should be calling. It was a good save, and I think had it been... Had there been VAR, then maybe it would have been a penalty. What was the other one? Am I misremembering Just uh, Rob Holding being held in the box. Oh, yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? I loved that. I loved that. I was watching on, on ITV, and I listened to Lee Dixon... And he said, ah, there's nothing in that. No, nothing there. As the guy standing with both arms around Rob Holding, giving him a tender hug. I was thinking, well, what are you watching? Um, but yeah, yes. maybe that might have been one. But they don't tend to give too many those of those, do Arsenal. they? No. Well, certainly not to us. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I guess not. And as you say, no uh, VAR. So... Less likely. Uh, but as I started by saying, it wasn't a great half. I, I was sort of texting around mates of mine being like, is this fun for a neutral? Like, is this one of those fun, scrappy <laughs> cup ties? Like, oh, look, Oxford are holding their own. And everyone replied and was just like, no, this is a bad game. Yeah, this, this was a bad, bad football. This was not yeah. like, this was not plucky underdogs sticking no. it to the big guy this was just a bad game of football there's no two ways about that you can't you can't make a case for that first half uh for being anything other than just completely forgettable i think that's true i there was one moment where uh we had a long throw i mean i think maybe the closest we came to scoring was from a long throw do you remember and eddie, oh, stuck eddie foot clipped out. It, yeah clipped it over yeah yeah went over but uh i mean that might have been offside as well i, I need to see it again um because there was a flick at the near post, I think. But what what do you make of the um, the fact that there has been VAR in some of these games? Yeah, I know. It doesn't it's seem fair. Stadium dependent, right? Yeah, but that shouldn't that sh- it should be it should be either you know all or nothing. Like there's VAR for everyone, or there's be, VAR for nobody. It should be competition wide. I agree with that. Um, but then, you know, sometimes you have a stadium that's set up for VAR, like at Anfield the other day, and mm. there's a corner of the pitch that isn't covered by a camera. Suddenly, mm. you can't make a decision. These are things that definitely need to be ironed out. But I agree, it's slightly odd uh, to have different rules, laws, mm-hmm. should we say, um, in the same competition. Yeah. Um, so, look, the first half, thankfully, came to an end. And that yeah. was that was good. I enjoyed the 15 minutes between the end of the first half and the start of the second half. We got to see Ian Wright again. Yeah. You know, yeah. things were looking up. It was a lovely interview, wasn't it, between Wrighty and, and Mikel Arteta before the game? Yeah. Loved that. Great report. Mm-hmm. That, that was the highlight. That was the highlight of the first half, even though it didn't even happen in the in the first half. It kind of kept me going, you know. Sure. Um, second half... Oxford had a moment right at the start, didn't they? The guy went went through on goal. Yes, and he he had looked off but was on, I, I think. Um, and Turner did well. He showed good concentration, I guess, mm-hmm. and a good starting position to you know race out and clean it up. I thought he wasn't enormously tested on the night, but he looked uh, solid and and capable, and mm. uh, you know had had a decent night, Matt Turner. Then we started, I think we did start to exert a bit of pressure after that. Um, yeah. We had a succession of corners. 
we played more of the game in their half. And then I think the the game, well, there were two things, obviously, that changed. There were substitutions, which gave us more control, but then there was a goal very quickly. Was it just after or just before the substitutions? Just I think after. it was just I, I after. I think it would be, listen, I think the substitutes made a difference, but the I'm not so much sure they helped the first goal, if that makes any sense, because it was seconds later, I think, that yeah. Fabio Vieira, um, who had struggled, I think it's fair to say, to impose himself on the game in, in the first half, produced a, a brilliant delivery for Mohamed Alneni. Yeah, I think so. But there was a moment a little bit before the free kick with Vieira where he played pass to a little flick to Bakayo Saka, I think. Mm-hmm. And Saka went through and I think he beat the keeper with the shot and it was cleared away by a defender who was behind the, the goalkeeper. So yes, you're right. there was a little sign there that Vieira was beginning to to come into the game. His delivery, really good. Uh, Elneny got the header, enjoyed that goal. Big Mo, didn't he? He really had a, a nice time with that. Uh, I think so. I mean, to be fair, it's a very fun goal to score because you just stick your head on it and it looks great. Do you know what I mean? Because the, the, all the pace is on the delivery. So mm-hmm. if you make good contact, um, it's a very satisfying type of finish to execute. Yeah. Good goal. Good header. Tommy Asu just missed it. Tommy Asu's overdue a goal, isn't he? He needs one at this point. Um and that's one nil. And then I think that kind of settled us down a little bit. I think, you know, between going ahead, having Xhaka on the pitch, having Zinchenko on the pitch, I think that just gave us much more control than we had previously. And that then told in in what happened for the rest of the game. Um, we mentioned Vieira. Mikel Arteta spoke afterwards, said he was really happy with him, that he was man-marked in the first half. And I think it's fair to say that nobody really... Um, stood out in the in that first half from an Arsenal perspective, but he did grow into this game, and I think that pass for Eddie and Kedia uh, is is really lovely, and I think Eddie's finish as well is a is a sign that this is a striker who is becoming more confident and more composed in in front of goal. Yeah, that's true, and, and I don't wish to uh, downplay Eddie's finish or indeed El Nenny's header too much but I do think the quality of the assist from Vieira on both was Mm. excellent I mean he gave those guys goals you know if they did their job then Mm. it was a a gift really you know he put it on a plate for Elneny and for a striker of Eddie's finishing ability that's on a plate too you know all he has to do is take that touch take it around the Mm. keeper and slot it home so they were good moments uh, for Vieira Mm. And yeah, pleasing to see Eddie on the score sheet again. I just think, yeah, I just think it's important to him. I mean, strikers thrive off goals, of course. particularly strikers like Eddie. Agree, and and look, you can see him. He actually points for the pass as he's making the run. He points for the pass where he wants it. Vieira delivers. I mean, he does have that that quality in his in his left foot. You know, um, when you looked at the first half, you thought, you know, he's He's struggling against a bigger physical team, but you know, the minute you give him any space and the minute he finds little pockets to make passes like that, you know, the quality, the technical quality is there. I think the issue with him is not the physical 
as much. I mean, obviously, he's not the biggest guy, and I think that is a small factor. But I, I think it's more to do with just getting used to the game in England more than Portugal. You know, I don't mm. think I don't think there's. Like, I'm sure we're going to talk about Albert Sambi Lukonga, and we might save that for the second half of the show because we've got some questions about him. I don't have any real concerns about Vieira's quality as a player, as a technician, his his ability to play passes and see passes. I just really think it is about coming to terms with how physical the game can be and how you need to modify what you've done in a relatively short career to date to be able to step up and deliver in in games like this and and in particular the Premier League. I think that's a very fair analysis. Um, This is maybe slightly more uh, controversial and I imagine will make people shout at me. But I think... That although they are very different players with very different problems to solve, in some respects, the early days of Fabio Vieira remind me of the early days of Nicola Pepe. In that, he has produced some really, really excellent moments mm. that have demonstrated a significant level of talent. And there's also the parallel of you know the left foot. And... And, and probably played less than people expected or might like. And his challenge now is to go from becoming being a moments player to someone who can deliver more consistently. And I think his challenge in doing that is different to Pepe's. I think you're right. I think it's more connected to an adaptation to England, to physicality, mm. um, I liked you saying that his size might be a small factor in, in the adaptation. Um, <laughs> like, I think he can bulk up. There's no two ways. I think he can he can become physically stronger and a little bit more robust. There's no yeah, two ways. he's never going to be a foot taller exactly. or four inches wider, but he can be more muscular, you know, and he can be also just psychologically, I think, in those duels, as Mikel Arteta would have it, um, he needs to know that that's the kind of game he's in and the kind of football he's playing. Mm. Um, I don't draw that parallel with Pepe at all to say I think it will end the same way. I, I really think Vieira is a player and I think he has every chance of showing that in England. But there is a process he's going to have to undergo to be able to deliver consistently, especially in the, in the Premier League. But when he has time, when he has space, when he gets on the ball in the right areas, which to be honest is in and around the penalty box, um, he looks quality. Mm-hmm. He does. I mean, in that final third, if you can get him central in that final third, we know he can shoot. We know he can pass. You know, he's he's played 876 minutes this season, which is not a lot, really. Mm. And in those 876 minutes, he's got two goals and four assists. Which is not a bad contribution for the minutes played, and in particular, you know, given that many of those minutes will have been as a, a sub or a late sub or or what have you. So, like, I understand why people might have looked at him in that first half and thought, I don't know about this guy. I don't know about his ability to to be able to deliver in England. But I, I just think that the level of technical quality he has 
makes me confident that he can grow into this team and, and grow into this club and, and be a successful player for us. Well, he's demonstrated a talent worth persisting with for sure, you know, and worth investing in and trying to make work because there is real ability there. Mm. And Arsenal took a bit of a punt on him. I think that's fair to say. It's an expensive punt, but, mm-hmm. you know, this was a guy they signed after really one season of top flight football. Um and so well, there's a lot we don't know about him. I think it's interesting as well, think about the system Arsenal play. It's kind of a 4-3-3, one City midfielder, two further in front of that. You know, He's much more a Martin Odegaard than a, a Granit Xhaka. But if you think about Odegaard playing that kind of uh, right 8-10 role, mm. think about how, how much of a physical dimension Odegaard manages to bring in that role, despite it not necessarily being his uh, obvious strength. You know, we think of him as a creative player, but think about everything else he brings in terms Mm. of chasing back, pressing, regaining possession. That is the benchmark for Vieira. Mm. And that's what he has to try and emulate, I think, if he wants to play regularly in that kind of position for us. No, I think so. And look, the, the other thing to point out is that, that Odegaard's a couple of years older. Yeah. Uh, Much maybe, more experienced, I would say, yeah. as well, at senior level. Yeah, exactly. He's like nearly 50 caps for Norway. He's, you know, he's three inches taller than him. So there are there are things that, that give him a, a little bit of an advantage there. But, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the fee. 35 million is a bit of a punt. There's no two ways about it. But when you look at what's going on with Mudrik, for example, maybe this is the kind of deal you have to try and do to get a player before they reach, you know, the the very obvious public coming of age of their potential, if you know what I mean, because then the prices go absolutely crazy. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's not, to, it's not to say it's a guarantee that it will work, but, you know, I can think of countless occasions where we've been linked with players who, for example, Rafinha is a great example, you know, where we're being linked with a player who has come to the Premier League, done well to the point where Arsenal are interested, Chelsea are, well, of course, Chelsea are interested in every single player that exists at this moment in time. Especially um, Barcelona, yeah. Exactly, but Barcelona are interested, right? And you're... I think we've had this discussion. It's like, well, why don't we get the Rafinha before he costs 50 million? And I know 35 million, 50 million is a bit different, but I think this is kind of one of those deals where if Vieira does fulfill his potential, if he can really come to terms with, with English football, 35 million might look like a snip. That's it. And when Arsenal signed Vieira, obviously it came out of the blue for a lot of us, but part of the rationale... Um, internally for for doing the deal at this time was if he has another season in Portugal racking up goals and assists Mm -hmm. you know moves into as you suggest a a higher price bracket and onto the radar of maybe not bigger clubs but certainly you know clubs that might be more attractive to a Portuguese player Mm -hmm. Um, and so Arsenal did go early um and maybe, you know, part of the price of that is that you accept a degree of development happening on your time. But if it pays off, mm. it will have been worth it. And I think he's a really intriguing player because 
he does deliver these moments of real quality. I mean, that goal at Brentford stands out, but there mm. have been others as well. Even in the little pre-season period, just around Christmas, um, there were some great moments from him and a couple of great assists last night. So I, I'm not sure Arteta fully has faith in him at Premier League level yet. You know, there have been some games where he might have brought him on and hasn't done. Um I think it I think it depends on the game state. You know, even the the Newcastle yeah. one. I mean, do you bring him on in a game where Arsenal are playing pretty well, kind of on top. Odegaard is maybe not at his best, but you know, given what he's produced, do you put a Vieira on at this point against a team that's, you know, like if Oxford were a bit physical last night, Newcastle were a different level, you know, in terms of their yeah. their size and uh, and the way they use it. And also a team that poses counter-attacking threat. You know, you've got to think if you do think Vieira might weaken you defensively with a big game poised at nil-nil, is that a, mm. a gamble you want to take? Um, you know, they, they brought on St. Maximan in those final stages and they are a decent team on the counter-attack. So it's it's a it's a tricky equation. Um, but, but I mean, isn't it about in, in, in games like this, if we talk about Eddie, for example, who's now got four goals in four games since he came in for Gabriel Jesus, I think it's five uh, goals in his last five starts yeah. for the club. If we're looking at games like this and saying, well, this is really good for Eddie because, you know, he's scoring goals, strikers thrive on goals. We're looking at Fabio Vieira and thinking, well, what, what can he deliver? Okay, it's Oxford, everything else, but he's come out of the game with two assists. Mm -hmm. I think that really is the key thing from this particular fixture that he has delivered. He's contributed. The stats are there. They're in black and white. He will, I'm sure, have found the first half tough going, but I think he will have walked off that pitch last night thinking, okay, I've taken another little step forward here and you know, I'll keep working and, and we can go from here. And one thing I will say for him is that I've seen him, and I think it happened once last night, be absolutely flattened um as is going to happen to yeah. a player of that kind of size and he's it's it's never seemed to hugely phase him and i think that's to his credit mm. you know you he he has taken a bit of a uh, a buffeting at times but generally you know that if he stays on the pitch he will play himself into the game uh, and i think that's credit to him and to be fair he's probably experienced some of that treatment his whole life his whole career you know because yeah. he's yeah, never yeah. been a big guy no 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 and he's gonna get clattered and that's that's it you know um yeah. the one i think that where he got absolutely flattened from behind i think that took the wind out of uh, his sails a little bit but mm. um i'm just trying to figure out what moment that was and was he able to deliver after that yeah it was the 66th minute when he was absolutely flattened two two three minutes later he provides that pass for eddie to to score the goal there you go so there you go Eddie's third, lovely finish, nice run. Martinelli held it well, timed the pass well. Um, maybe you could look at the goalkeeper, but I do think that's a confident kind of finish from Eddie. Brilliant finish. I mean, mm. impudent stuff. And uh, I think after that, you probably quite fancied a hat-trick. He stayed on the pitch, didn't he? And I thought, mm -hmm. and he took one shot on from about 30 yards. Um which would about the total of all his Arsenal goals to date distance combined. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked that finish and it was a good run from Martinelli who, you know, 
on a night where Arsenal weren't great for long periods and where it did become a bit of a physical battle, I did think that Martinelli's running athleticism yeah. really stood out. Agree, agree. Um, what else to say? I mean, there was a moment, of course, when Bakayo Saka went down and we all very frightening. Yeah, reached for the smelling salts and the fainting couch and everything else. But uh, Mikel Arteta said afterwards he's fine. The substitution that we made then was an interesting one because it was Emil Smith-Rowe coming on for his first minute since September. Um, I did wonder if he might want to give him more than 15 mm. minutes in this particular game. And I'm I'm sort of surprised that, um, well, when was it? Uh, yeah, the, the third goal came right after Saka's substitution. So maybe he would have made it then. But but still, good to see Smith roll back. I think he looked, he looked a little bit rusty in terms of his touch, in terms of his passing, but I thought he looked like he was moving really nicely. Um, gliding over the ground a little bit, I thought. Um, so it was good to see him look in, in good physical shape. And he did he almost does, score yeah. as well. He looks in good, Nick. Um, and he looks... I mean, every time I see Smith Rowe in the last sort of 18 months, I think he looks a bit more powerful, you know. I mm. guess that's maturation. You know, he's getting older and presumably some of these layoffs have given him uh, time in the gym too. Uh, on the technical side... He did look a bit rusty, I mm -hmm. thought. Um, but it was great to see him. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll touch on this in the second half, I imagine. But yesterday, the news came, João Felix, very close to yeah. joining Chelsea. And so, you know, we're looking at a sort of scarcity of options for Arsenal in attack. Um, having Smith Rowe back and firing would be such a big boost. And if he didn't play that long, maybe it is just pure caution with such big mm. Premier League games to come. You know, he's already had a setback in his recovery. I guess they just know that they need to try and prevent yeah. another one. Well, that's it. And, and Mikel Arteta said afterwards, it's been four months since he played. It was the perfect game to give him some minutes to get off the blocks. And now he needs to start to get available and start to play at the highest level because we're going to need him. So I think that tells you that part of how we're going to strengthen in the second half of the season is in, you know, the immortal words, like a, like a new signing kind of way, because we do, we do need Smith Rowe. I mean, he was, I keep saying this, he was our second highest scorer last season. So he is somebody, if he can stay fit and get properly fit and match sharp, he is somebody who can contribute as a starter, but also off the bench as well. Yes. And at Christmas, you know, last year, uh, well, Christmas 2021, he was, you know, maybe our most mm. impressive player. You know, certainly our top goal scorer at that point in time. Had started pretty much every game. And, you know, Martinelli uh, kind of only really started to grow into the team from December onwards. So mm. it shouldn't be forgotten uh, what a big player Smith Rowe has been for us. And hopefully he can be again. I mean, we're not even asking him to sort of kind of contribute at that level. We just need him to be an option, an alternative. And the other thing to remember about him is that he he showed himself to be a really effective substitute. I mean, was mm. it three or four games in a row he came off the bench and scored? Um, wouldn't mind something like that again. Mm. You did mention João Felix. Um, 
Yeah. We've got plenty of questions about transfers and things like that in, in the second half, which we'll get to now in, in a moment. But just your thoughts on him going to Chelsea. Um, clearly, Arsenal were interested, but not interested enough to pay whatever it is, 11, 12 million euros as a loan fee and then another five and a half million pounds in salary for for five months of service. I mean, the thing to point out that, um, is that he signed an extension with Atletico Madrid, reportedly anyway, signed an extension with Atletico Madrid before he went on say, uh, on loan to, to Chelsea. So there's no obligation to buy or anything like that. It is an extraordinary amount of money for a loan for a few months for a player who, you know, could hit the ground running, but as we've seen in the past, could also take some time to get used to English football if he manages that at all. Yes, and if you want to sign the player permanently, it's going to cost you a pretty penny. So I don't think it can really, I don't think Arsenal could really have looked upon it as a a long-term investment. I mean, from it was sort of presented as, you know, he had the choice, United and Arsenal were also interested. That is true, but uh, I don't think, well, from what I hear, Arsenal would not have sanctioned an 11 million loan. For no, him. that's crazy. Um but it's interesting, you know, I've seen people positing a counter-argument to that, saying, well, if the title's potentially on the line, is an 11 million loan fee, and, you know, let's say 16 million for the loan of João Felix, and that's the difference between making, the, you know, yourself Premier League champions or not, is that a small price to pay? Mm. I mean, um, yeah, sure, but, I mean, that's a that's a... That's a hypothetical that you could present, you know, for many transfers and for many deals. You know, the reality is the guts of 20 million euros for a player for five months. Like, of course, he could help you. He could score the goals that could be the difference between first and second or the difference between, you know, last season, the difference between um, fourth and fifth. But is it really a strategic way to spend that amount of money you know when you're a football club that has in the past really suffered from doing poor short-term deals Mm -hmm. at some point you have to say well there is a possible benefit for it but have we not improved by being more strategic by being smarter with our money and with our transfer business and i think the answer to that from an arsenal perspective is is yes we have so do you then go back on that i mean the people who say well it could be the difference between winning the title and not would be the first to say well that was a waste of money if he plays you know if he has a dennis suarez time at arsenal you know what i mean so you get yeah you, you could easily make the counter argument I, the thing I, I see, I see both sides of it, really. Yeah, me and too, think, me too. But I understand why Arsenal wouldn't pay that money for a player for five months. Yeah, I can understand certainly why you know uh, Edu and the board might think this doesn't really fit with mm. the strategy that we have deployed thus far. I think that a long-term strategy and a short-term sort of tactical manoeuvre. Uh, needn't necessarily be mutually exclusive, though. You know, you sure. can have a, a smart club that's structured on long-term planning, but also recognise 
the need or the value for a short-term move. I mean, another component is in this, and one that I think may have some weight, is that I think Xiao Felix goes to Chelsea knowing that not only will he play, but if he plays well, there's sort of a place in the first 11 for him in the long term. Mm -hmm. I, I do think when you look at Arsenal, you know, having Jesus, having Saka, having Martinelli, having Odegaard, um, maybe, you know, for a player who's been frustrated at not starting enough matches, maybe Chelsea is a more palatable choice. I don't know. Maybe sure. a more favourable choice is, is a better word. Um but well, yeah, you know, it, it is, you know, I, I think if Arsenal had wanted to match the money, there'd been a, there'd be a very good chance that Jao Felix would be coming to North rather than West London. Well, that's it. You know, the the you know, he sold on the Chelsea project. <sighs> I mean, very I'm very difficult to see why right now. I have yeah, to be honest. Exactly. I mean, that that club are in a mess, and that team are in a mess. I mean, Todd um, Bowley is just standing there blunderbussing money around everywhere he can possibly blunderbuss it with yeah. apparently not much thought as to what kind of squad he's putting together, how balanced it is, what the manager might want and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I mean, the Chelsea correspondents, uh, the Athletic, I was talking to them about this deal yesterday and they were saying, well, they don't even really need Jao Felix. Like he's not even the sort of striker that they need, um, which is kind of, remarkable mm. but uh look this is a club that signed a Bamiang, so yeah there's a, been a lot of bad decisions made there will Jao felix prove to be a good or a bad one i guess time will tell it listen it, it would have solved some problems for arsenal sure. to bring him in undoubtedly and i do think it adds uh maybe a little layer of pressure to the michaelo mudrick negotiations i think you know, to lose, um, what's the Oscar Wilde? To lose one signing is uh, uh, unfortunate. To lose two is careless. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Uh, yeah, they can't afford, it, it wouldn't be a good look for Arsenal to lose two targets to a club like Chelsea. I mean, do you think Chelsea still have interest in Woodrick? Mm, the noises coming out of Chelsea are that they still want to augment their front line whether or not that would be with Mudrick or I think they need more of a sort of um, conventional centre forward. Didn't they just but... sign some guy from Norway? Yes. I don't know if he's going straight into the squad. Um, right. But he's a promising young player. He's sort of more of a prospect for the future. They put him on like a 16-year contract. That's Chelsea's thing now. 16-year like... contract on £390,000 a week. Yeah, it goes up. Uh, 80% every year, I think. Uh, right. It's a bargain. But Todd Bowley's telling everyone it's a bargain. Um, it's a bargain. <laughs> I think... I, I, I think that this will... It, it, it puts a, la a layer of pressure on Arsenal to get Mudrick done, but I also think, yes, maybe it strengthens their position in some ways too, because Chelsea... You know, have brought in a kind of multifunctional forward mm. now in in Felix, um, but we shall see. Perhaps we have questions about that. I'm sure we do. I'm sure we do. Okay, yeah. Let's take a little break here because we do have questions about transfers and Mudrick and other things, which we will do in part two, which is coming up right after this. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. We did talk a bit about Mudrik there and we've got some questions about him. So let's continue that. Um, Alexander Muster, who's on Twitter at Alex Muster, says, Goodly morning. Which option is the likeliest? One, we get Mudrik and that's business done. Two, we get Mudrik and another forward. Three, we get Mudrik and a midfielder. Four, we don't get anyone. What do you think? Give me the options again, Andrew. Sorry. Get Mudrik. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Then we get Mudrik and another forward because we have been after Zhao Felix as well. So maybe we change our our target and bring in another yeah. forward as well as Mudrik. We get Mudrik and a central midfielder. We do have questions to come on central midfield. Or we don't get anyone. The horror. The horror. <laughs> I'm going to go with option one. Okay, Mudrik. Mudrik and no more. And, and to be honest... Uh, you know, it depends on if your glass is half full or half empty, how you look at that. You know, you could mm. say that's optimistic. That says we'll get the deal done. Some would say that's pessimistic. We need more than that. Um, I think that feels like the likeliest outcome at this point. What do you think of those four? Um, I mean, I think probably I'd lean towards one, but... When, you know, a deal like the Vieira deal, which we mentioned that came out of nowhere, yeah, it does perhaps demonstrate that they are capable of pulling a small rabbit out of a hat um, sure. from time to time. So I wouldn't rule out something else entirely, but quite what it is, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, if you are after two forwards, which we were until João Felix um, decided to go to Chelsea... Why wouldn't you have an alternative plan to Zhao Felix? And I know part of that is due to like availability in the market and who might be out there and, and everything else. But I don't think it's unreasonable to think that, you know, they might have a backup plan in that regard. I don't know who it is. I don't know who it might be. But if they do want two players and one of them becomes unavailable, I don't know that you just go, well, that's that then. There's only two players in the entire world. And uh, unfortunately, we can only get one of them. You know what I mean? So it wouldn't surprise me if there was something else. No, I think that's fair. The only thing I would say is that I think it's worth remembering that the Felix deal was always a loan deal. And there was kind of a value in bringing in a striker on loan because, you know, Jesus is very much the guy and he will be back eventually and they obviously have great faith in Eddie too Mm -hmm. so the question then becomes what kind of caliber 
of player? If, if you think, well, if we bring in a striker, it would ideally be a loan. What kind of caliber of player can you get on a loan? In that's January? that's fair, you know. But also, Mikel Arteta in his press conference last night was asked about you know bringing in another striker, and mm-hmm. he said. About Eddie, you know, he's he's doing really well, but it's a problem because we only have one. And then he said, we're going to be many months without Gabriel Jesus, which I think has kind of flown under the radar a little bit. Yeah, we had a question about that. Um, I noticed it too. Yeah, it was from Speckled Jim on the Discord, and he just mentioned the uh, the quote of many months. And so Mm. is that just a turn of phrase or is that telling it's it's the first time and he's it slipped out mm. but it's the first time arteta's put any kind of time scale as far as i can remember yeah jesus's recovery yeah so you know very publicly saying that it's a problem that we only have one striker maybe makes me think that you know they're, they're gonna try and, and do something beyond mudrick i mean there are reports look this whole thing has turned into not quite Baptista-esque levels of saga, but we're getting there, you know. Um, Arshavin part two. Arshavin part two, in a way. Um, I mean, you know, the reporting yesterday, apart from the, well, the latest report is there is no report, or the latest update (laughs) is there is no update. You know, talks are continuing. The clubs are confident. The Blah, blah, blah. But there did seem to be a slight move towards... Shakhtar and Arsenal being able to find an agreement which seems to be based on the incentives side of, of not necessarily incentives, but the add-ons. So the if the player, the yeah, deal. that's the right way of putting it. So do you, do you have any insight into that? Yeah, I, I do think that, I'm sorry to um, uh, urinate on everyone's uh, French fries, but... How uh, I think some of those reports they were a little bit premature, J- just in terms of you know there were stories that came out in the Ukraine. I think Sport Arena was the website about uh, an agreement being close, and then that was sort of replicated in some other European outlets. Um, I don't think it's as close as that. I think dialogue is ongoing. In fact, yesterday, as it happens one of the key sort of negotiating figures for Shakhtar Donetsk who deals with all their kind of contracts and numbers wasn't even uh, at work. So I think the idea that it's close or in the final stages of negotiation is certainly premature. Um, But I do think that it's accurate to say there's optimism on both sides that an agreement can be reached. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think Arteta... Certainly, I don't think it's true of his team selection necessarily, but I think what he says in press conferences can be quite pointed about recruitment and signings and mm-hmm. trying to communicate the urgency and the need for that. So fingers crossed it can move forward. Today, this morning was quite a big moment in the saga in that uh, Mudrik and the rest of the Shakhtar squad were due to fly to Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, another parallel, you may remember Andrea Sharvin flying out to, I think it was Dubai with the Zenit St. Petersburg squad. And there was a lot of talk of would he go, would he not go? And I can tell you there were people at Shakhtar um, who thought perhaps he wouldn't turn up for that flight. This mm-hmm. He has, uh, and he has travelled. 
listen, I, I, I think that's fine. I, I, my impression is that him behaving in a difficult manner um, may not have helped the situation. You know, I yeah. think, I think uh, Shakhtar are quite a bullish club. And I don't think that would have uh, sat particularly well with uh, them. And I think they may have even held mm. Arsenal or, or the players sort of accountable to a certain extent. And that, by the way, is another thing to mention on João Felix is that, you know, Arsenal were trying to cut a deal with Atletico in that situation. But Arsenal and Atletico are not necessarily on the best possible terms after the nature of the Thomas Partey buyout. And giving them Lucas Torreira for a season. Well, the, yeah. yes, of course, the ultimate um, um, punishment. Yeah, I mean, but, I think that that makes sense, you know, because I think if you are, if you're Arsenal, unless you're convinced there's no other way of doing it, you, you ensure that the player is professional and does his duty. And I think, you know, it would, it would raise a question mark anyway, wouldn't it? If, if Mudrik had, let's say not gone on strike but not turned up or or what have you this is his club that he's played at since he was small you know so if he can do that to that club what could he do to arsenal down the line well also our sense of urgency in our timeline is is different to his you know we're looking at spurs on sunday and thinking it'd be great to get someone in mm. um he's probably looking at it and saying well, it's three weeks today until the window shuts. I don't have to play all my cards right now. Sure. Um, so I, I guess the good news is talks are ongoing, optimism that agreement can reach. The bad news is I don't think it's quite as close as uh, you may be reading. Mm -hmm. And I think Shakhtar, you know, they still have higher numbers in mind than than Arsenal consider realistic. Part of the reason I plumped it for option one in that question is just that I do wonder if this may end with Arsenal paying a little bit more than they are comfortable with. Well, probably quite a lot more than they're comfortable with. They're probably already mm. in the regions of more than they're comfortable with to get it done and that, you know, potentially capping what else we might be able to do. Um, I just think they've come so far on this player. They are absolutely convinced of his ability and the fact that he can be a long-term help to the team. I just wonder if they will, mm. as with Ben White, as with Aaron Ramsdale, as with certain others, see it through. I mean, we had an interesting question from the Discord from Wise Marklar, who said, do you think we're willing to spend big on Mudrik due to future sales? If so, who are the outgoing players in your opinion? Well, I think next summer, we talked about this, yeah. and Edu's talked about it. Um, sooner or later, players are going to be sold. And, um, yeah, I, listen, I think I think Kieran Tierney is certainly one to watch. Mm -hmm. um, I could see him leaving the club. Uh, we've had a lot of questions about Albert Sambi Conga. I think I said last week, I think he'll go in the summer. Um there are probably others. Nuno Tavares, maybe? You know, Nuno there's Tavares. a guy. Yeah, I'm trying to think who's who's out on loan. Um, um, I mean, I don't think there's anyone on loan who would really command a sort of substantial fee. But, no. you know, even somebody like 
Like, I would look at Rob Holding in the summer as somebody who, if we're going to sort of incrementally increase the yeah. level of the squad, I think Rob is a player who, you know, based on what he's done so far this season, I mean, as he, he hasn't started a game in the Premier League, he's had a few sub appearances. I think he's four substitute appearances in the Premier League, and he's played, of of course, in Europe and everything else and been, um, you know, part of that Europa League squad. But, I mean, he strikes me as somebody who could depart in the summer for, like, not a massive fee, but certainly more than we paid for him. So you could go to another Premier League club and and, and we could get some money in, in that regard. So I do think this summer, perhaps more than any summer in recent memory, the potential incoming money could be quite substantial. Yes, I, I think so. Um, in my darkest moments, in my darkest moments, no, it's not, it's not, well, it's pretty bad. In my darkest moments, I, I sometimes wonder, I sometimes wonder if, if Emil Smith-Rowe, really struggles to be consistently available. Mm. I, I sometimes wonder how much patience there will be with that. That That's all I would say. Yeah. I think he's an outstanding talent, and I think we desperately need him at this point in time. But sometimes when I look uh, into the future, maybe maybe this summer would be too soon i think you'd need more time to kind of for us to gauge where he's at physically i think so um i don't know the thought crosses my mind of him potentially being quite a saleable asset yeah but again that that would depend on his availability or lack of availability so if it goes well you know this is not even something you consider if it's not going well then that makes you that makes you think about it in a in a different way. So yeah, you know, and, and 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 even you know, players doing really well at the moment. Someone like Eddie, you know, if if Arsenal do end up pushing the button for a new centre forward in January, and they get to the summer and they've got Jesus, Eddie, and and another, um, you know, given what he's shown this season, mm -hmm. he would be a very marketable asset. Yeah, yeah. Um, joint top scorer now. Yeah, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not. Uh, you know, they're not necessarily keen for any of these players to leave. Sure. But it's going to be part of the evolution of the squad. But but isn't that the sort of antithesis of what we've been complaining about for years? Is yeah. that we have players we just cannot sell because of like bad contract management, their age, the lack of quality, like who wants to buy these guys? And now we've got players who you could definitely see um, as attractive to other clubs that's just something we're going to have to deal with and manage as we, you know, as we as we get good and improve and get better. I mean, it's like um, it's like City selling us Gabriel Jesus and Alexander yeah. Zinchenko. Like I'm sure City fans love those players, but City, you know, have the quality and they've got the depth and they've got the resources to sort of replace them, if you like, and and. Um, and, and, you know, to make, to make their thought, sales well, we could, okay, you know? Yeah, and they were like, well, we love Gabriel Jesus, he's a great player, but we can go and get 
Alvarez, mm -hmm. you know, he's cheaper, he's younger, and we think he's got similar or greater potential. Um, mm. And that's that's how you build a squad. You know, it, take Eddie, let's say he has a really strong second half of the season, and but, you know, Jesus comes back and he finishes the season as second choice in that position. If another Premier League club comes along and says, you know, with the English tax on it, we want to give you mm. 30 or 40 million for Eddie and Ketia. Uh, Arsenal might go, well, listen, yeah, we really like Eddie, but I think what, you know, maybe there's a someone we could get out mm. there that's better. Sure, I don't know. Sure. That's just, that is squad building. And, and that is what Edu still has to show he can do. Yeah, yeah, you know? I agree. He, three parts to his job, uh, recruitment, retention and selling. And he's been pretty good on the first and the second two, you know, I think he, he still has something to prove. Definitely. I mean, there, there should be few sacred cows in any squad. Simple as that, you know, yeah. um, there are obviously going to be some players you simply do not want to lose. And we all know who they are and, and, and everything else. But, um, you know, beyond that, you make decisions based on not necessarily what you lose, but how you can replace. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, on that note, we had a lot of questions about Sambi Lukonga. Mm. Adam Thomas Salter on Twitter said, is this the end of Sambi Lukonga? Felt today was a big chance for him and Vieira to show to their attacking talents. Uh, Vieira sees the opportunity. It looked like Sambi let this one pass him by. Mm. You know, on the one hand, I feel not necessarily sorry for him, but he doesn't play a great deal. So there's such weight on the on the the games where he does get a start. Yes, and, and can I just say something? I yeah. think there's kind of a paradox about these cup games where we play a heavily rotated team where inevitably we look at them and analyse individual performances very closely because yeah. we're like, oh, this is a chance for us to see a group of players we don't normally see. So how does Vieira do? How does Sambi do? Um, but actually playing in a heavily rotated team that never play together is in some ways a pretty unfair uh, I mean, way to assess an individual. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's unfair as much as the reality of a squad player. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um and and look, the other thing to to say is that a player's a player's opportunities or chances aren't simply based on what they do in a cup game. You know, it's how they train, how they perform, what the manager thinks they're capable of at Premier League level. You know, like if he thought Sambi was going to be able to storm a game in the Premier League, he would play him. Yeah. you know, or certainly give him more minutes from the bench. So I do take your point. Like, it is difficult for him to come in. When was the last time he started? Was it the EFL Cup game against Brighton, maybe, and then one of the Europa League games? So he doesn't get to start a great deal. Mm -hmm. So I have some sympathy in that regard. But I think we've talked more than once about how he's had these opportunities to to show what he can do. Can he stand out a little bit? It doesn't have to be like a barnstorming world-class performance against Oxford, but can he show enough to suggest that he's got what it takes to do it at Premier League level? Mm. And I looked at him last night 
and I've looked at him in some of the previous games, and I just don't quite see it at this moment in time. He feels to me like when we think back to that summer when we brought him in and and all the other players, he seems analogous to Nuno Tavares in that there's a rawness there that probably won't go away or won't be sort of um, honed away until he plays much more regularly. Like a loan, you could easily make a case for him to go on, on loan this January and for Arsenal to buy a midfielder or bring in another midfielder. I think that would yeah. be an easy, easy case to make. I suspect that, like you mentioned earlier, he will go in the summer. I think it'll probably be permanent unless we have real faith in his talent and his ability. But even then, I think, you know, you're looking at a, a player who, if he wants to play regular first-team football in whatever league his team is in, it's going to have to be somewhere else, I think. Yeah, I think uh, that's right. And I was struck actually watching him yesterday. I was really struck by his size. Like, I don't know if it's just because he's playing, there was some smaller players in the Oxford United team, but I was like, this guy looks like a big, powerful dude. Um, and maybe that's an area in which he has developed since he's arrived. But it's just not really happening for him. Mm. Um and we know from him on record that he very seriously thought about asking to leave the club last summer. Yes, because he wasn't playing. Because he wasn't playing. And I don't think anything that's happened in the intervening period will have sort of changed his mind necessarily mm. about that. So I think for all parties, you know, the question was, is this the end? Probably not quite. Because mm. I don't think, as things stand, we have the depth to contemplate letting him go. But no, I agree with that. I mean, we can't, we can't let him go unless we bring somebody else in. But the question then is, does your midfield have enough to compete across possibly three fronts for the next five months? Yeah. And that is, I mean, they've got to be thinking very, very strongly about that. Yeah, and that's true. And I think, but I think long term, it wouldn't surprise me if Mikel Arteta's mind is kind of made up on Albert Samuel Conga. Mm, same. That's the impression I I I'm getting um, from what I'm seeing with the selection. And you know, Arteta he doesn't hide his feelings much on the touchline, um, which has attracted a lot of attention mm -hmm. in the last week or so. Um, and if you watch Arteta watch Sambi, then I think it's quite telling. There was, a, you know, there was a change in the second half where basically we positioned him quite high up the pitch. Mm -hmm. And there was a couple of moments where there was just this big, big hole in our midfield where I'm like, I'm assuming he was there by instruction. He was told to be in that area of the pitch, but it basically meant we had a gap in midfield where, you know, a number of times Elneny and Holding were looking for a pass inside and there wasn't one. 
whether that was because he wanted Sambi to um, attract the attention of somebody else who could fill that gap, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But, like, he lasted, what, 15 minutes of the second half, and then he's off. And it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, Granite Xhaka in there. And I don't think Xhaka did anything remotely spectacular. I think what he did was completely and utterly run-of-the-mill. I don't mean to be dismissive about that, but it was far superior to what uh, Albert Sambi-Lakonga was able to contribute in the same role, you know? Mm. And I think and that fairness, tells you... he was you, supplemented by Zinchenko, who... Well, yeah. I think, you know, if I had to choose a word to associate with Zinchenko, it would be control. Yeah. Like he, you know, he helps us control games so much better. Um, so it was a marked difference after those changes and mm. the timing of the goal, of course, also helped. Well, we'll wait and see what happens with um, with Sambi. And like you, I don't think anything can happen this January unless we bring in another midfielder. So um, let me see what else we've got here in terms of a question. Here's one from Emil A239 on the Discord. And he says, what do you make of our seemingly ruthless approach to cancelling underwhelming loans? See Miguel Aziz and Brooke Norton Coffee. I like it. I like it. I think uh, if, if it's not working for the players' development, you know, these are precious years in their career um, and we need to try and make it work for them. I think... My honest impression is that those two players are on slightly different trajectories. Yeah. I think hopes for Norton Cuffey are higher at this point in time than they are for Aziz, which maybe isn't what people anticipated a few years ago, but I do think that's kind of where we are at this point in time. Yeah, it is quite funny, isn't it, how someone like Miguel Aziz can be... He's he's only 20 years of age, so he's got his whole career ahead of him and he could easily go on and have a, a good career, and I hope he does. Yeah. But isn't it amazing that, um, you know, a player can be the next big thing at academy level? I remember it was probably 18 months ago, maybe two years ago, people were saying, get Aziz in the team. We need him. We need Aziz. Wow, and, yeah. you know, he's gone off and played a bit for Ibiza, and now he's heading to Wigan on loan, possibly permanent. Depending on... Yeah, I think it's going to be a loan in the first instance from what I've heard. Mm. Um, talks, there's actually talks happening about that today, so we might get some news. But, you know, I mean, I guess there was a kind of little fable on the pitch last night. I, I remember people being up in arms when Marcus McGain uh, left yeah, Arsenal and went to, to join Barcelona. Barcelona in 2018. Um, and he's a, you know, he's a fine midfield player and he's got some ability but mm. he's playing at Oxford United in League One um, so yeah I, I don't I listen it's far too early to say on Aziz but I do think Norton Cuffey's star is kind of still on the rise um, what, what do you think the thinking is behind that one because you know when you send a player out on loan yeah. you want them to you want them to play regularly and he was playing pretty regularly for, for Rotherham um, yeah Played 20 times in the championship. Yeah. You know, 20 appearances, a couple of goals. So, you know, he was playing pretty regularly. Um, 
do you think it's just a case that they want him to play at a higher level? And you could argue that, you know, being involved in a, a, a sort of relegation scrap could be, uh, what's the word, formative for a player to, to sort of understand the importance of every game, of every kick, of every minute, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I, I, it's a good question, actually, and I don't fully know the answer. I know that Coventry are meant to play um, some decent football, maybe maybe stylistically. There's a there's something in mind. Um, I mean, Coventry, uh, Coventry presumably have come after him uh, quite hard and sort of made that happen as well from their perspective. Sure, so, but but on the I presume also on the basis that they knew he was potentially yeah. available because the Rotherham. Uh, loan when it was announced was announced long. as a season long loan so yeah good it's a great question and i i have to be honest and say i don't know art might know um i'll see if i can find out but it's uh i mean what whatever the reason i guess it shows an attentiveness mm. to what he's doing this season which i think uh is telling um and you know arsenal have Ben Napper, a loans manager, appointed specifically for this purpose. Mm -hmm. And a big part of his job is liaising with the player, uh, with their family, with the agents, and ensuring that everyone feels the loan spell is beneficial. And if Mm. it's not, uh, you know, he's in a position to try and change it and make something happen. So Mm. there must be a reason, but uh, I don't know what it is. All right. Just, I've got another question here just about staff. Um, Mm -hmm. given that we're on this sort of thing. Scott on Twitter, who's at ScottyS18, following up on a a story by David Ornstein, your colleague, Mm. yesterday. He said, is the new Techers guy an addition to the coaching team or do we expect someone to leave? How will this guy work within the existing setup? This is like a, um, I can't remember the guy's name. You'll probably know, but he's basically an attacking phase coach. Yes, that's right. But he's a guy whose background primarily is in one-to-one coaching. Right. So he's done a lot of work with basically. There's a much there's a growing trend for professional footballers of all ages to take on one-to-one coaches, particularly uh, at academy level. So really? in the same way that you know you wow. might get some students who hire a tutor to help them get better GCSEs or whatever it might be, they will take on one-to-one coaches outside of what they're doing at the club to help them improve technique, skill level. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, clubs have very mixed feelings about that because while they admire the endeavour of the players, generally they want it to be happening under their roof. Um, You know, that you get similar issue with, you know, we see all these players going off in the summer and training with personal trainers and Greek islands or going to LA and doing like a fitness camp with some big Instagram uh, fitness guy. Yeah. And club physios are kind of like, I wish that wasn't happening because as much as it's admirable from the player, we're not in control. We're not getting the data. We don't know what the loading's like. Mm. And I think the one-to-one coaching thing is regarded kind of similarly. So Arsenal... I think have been pretty smart here in appointing someone who has a broader skill set than just this, but is a specialist one-to-one coach who has worked in academies and with academy players uh, in developing individual skill for quite a number of years and has gained a really, really, really strong 
reputation for doing so. I know he's got kind of social media profile and the likes, but you speak to anyone who's worked with him and uh, reports are really glowing. Mm. So I can see the value in bringing that into London Colney. Um, from what I hear, uh, I'm still trying to figure out the details about this. I'm hoping to write about it later this week, but from what I hear, he's going to have a role that uh, incorporates academy and senior level to some extent. Um, and I think it's an addition rather than a replacement. I don't think this is a, a question of anyone going. And I think uh, Arsenal, and I would imagine Per Mertzaka, Edu and Arteta have been involved in this decision. I think it's, a, you know, a, a positive development. I like to see kind of quite creative uh, choices made in coaching if if the right technical grounding is there. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm intrigued to see how he gets on. I mean, the, the reality is we probably won't see, you know, it'll probably be a lot of work behind closed doors and I imagine a lot of one-to-one work with players. Maybe, and- but, you know, he could be on He could be on the sideline prowling around the technical area with Mikel Arteta. Every time one of his coaching subjects does something good, he runs onto the pitch with a <laughs> fuck you Richard Keyes t-shirt the on. Over, the over approach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we will hear more from him. Um, I, I'm just trying to remember his name. Sorry, uh, Hussein... Uh, just full name. If only well. you had access to the athletic, James. I know, you, know, you could read the... I just can't afford it. There was a one pound deal as well. Hussein Issa is his full name. Right. And it is an interesting backstory because he's been a player at Hashtag United, which, um, you know, is the sort of t- the club that was born out of a, a YouTube channel. And he's, but he, he also has a, a serious grounding. He was an academy player um, at Tottenham, playing with the first team at Tottenham. Boo. I know, right? Um, uh, yeah. He is a very intriguing guy. There's so yeah, like I say, I'll be writing a bit about him okay. and about the coaching stuff later in the week for those who are athletic readers. But hopefully, that's provides some context. I'll, I think it's a, a genuinely uh, interesting addition, and I think mm. Arteta has made some bold choices with his staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by and large, seems to have been successful. I'll let you know how the uh, article goes down. On the Thanks. Articles. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, what about... Hmm. Okay, let's do this question. I think this is... I think this is a... I think this is a wor- one worth doing, even if I think okay. I know the answer. Pete, who's at Party in My Pants, uh, says, uh, is there a genuine conversation to be had over whether Jesus or Jesus, I actually don't know which it is. Jesus, no? Jesus, thank you. Um, Automatically gets his starting position back over Eddie. While Gabby undeniably adds a huge amount to the dynamic, Eddie routinely puts the ball in the back of the net, which is handy. I think... (sighs) He does when he's fit again, because I think he brings more to the team overall than Eddie. And that's not to be dismissive of what Eddie has done so far. I think if you if you were to say to people, Gabriel Jesus is going to get injured, Eddie's going to come in, he's going to start four games and score four goals in those games, you'd say, that's pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I'm not downplaying anything that Eddie and Kedia does, and I think we're going to see a lot more of him, obviously, because of what Arteta said about the many months without Gabriel Jesus. Hopefully, maybe that maybe that was just a bit of a, a red herring, a MacGuffin, you know, where he's, he's making people think it's going to be ages and he comes back quicker. I don't know. But we're obviously going to see a lot more of Eddie and Kedia. So far, so good in terms yeah. of what he has done. So far, so good. No real complaints from my end. I do think there are going to be games where we say afterwards, I really wish we had Gabriel Jesus here. Yeah. I really wish we could have started him in this game. And again, it's not being dismissive towards Eddie. I just think that when you have certain players, it'd be like, I don't know, how, how would you say it? It'd be like... Matt Turner coming in and doing really well while Aaron Ramsdale had an injury. But when Ramsdale is fit again, he just comes back into the team because mm -hmm. there is a, just a, a difference in level. And I think that's where we are at the moment between 23-year-old Eddie Nketia and 25-year-old Gabriel Jesus. I just think there's a difference in level. And I think when you're picking your best team, Jesus is in it over Eddie Nketiah. But maybe... In the next few months, Eddie can make that a really, really difficult decision for Mikel Arteta. He can make it harder for the manager to make that decision. But as it stands, I think if both players are 100% fit tomorrow, you start Gabriel Jesus. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that there are going to be moments or games in the next, you know, however many weeks it's going to be or months where we miss Gabriel Jesus. I'm not sure those moments will be when the ball breaks inside the penalty area or a player gets put through one-on-one. -on -one. I think Eddie will probably continue to do pretty well in those situations. I think it will be... I think what we'll miss is just the sheer intensity that Jesus brings, which is pretty much unrivaled in the world. I think we can say mm. like the best pressing forward in the world, according to Tite and Pep Guardiola. Um, I think any team would miss that. I think there's an argument at times Manchester City have missed that, even though they've, you know, they look pretty good without it. Mm. Um, so I think he will be an automatic starter when he comes back. I think we will gain something from this run Eddie's having in the team. Agree. You know, I think mm -hmm. he, he will develop as a player and the prospect of this Eddie Nketiah coming off the bench is slightly different to the Eddie we were talking about before Christmas where we were sort of still asking those questions. You know, every goal he scores, every good performance, I think adds to his confidence, his presence. And, I and you know, in pre-season, there was quite a lot of uh, occasions where both players were used and I think there might be certain match situations where there's a value in that for Arsenal. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, something Arteta really was quite consistent with in the first half of the season when, when both players were fit was that if both were on the pitch, unless we switched system to kind of, uh, uh, you know, two up top or whatever, it was always Eddie out wide yeah. and Jesus through the middle. And I'd, I'd really like to see at some point the other way around of that. I mean, I think it would probably suit both players better, to be honest. 
feels that way. Mm, it does. Um, it does. Um, but look, what we're seeing from Eddie, you know, so far has been really positive. You know, if we were sitting here after four games and he hadn't got a goal, we'd be quite worried, wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about how strikers need goals. Goals give them confidence. I think it also it also makes the opposition think a bit more about Eddie and Kedia. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's got four games without a goal, um, I'm not saying that people, you know, take opposition players for granted or their threats for granted or anything like it, but, um, and I'm not saying like Man City and Man United and Tottenham are going to be quaking in their boots or anything like that, but he's shown he can score goals. Um, so... On that basis, I think what he's done so far has been positive. But, you know, Arteta sounded the warning. It is a problem that we've only got one striker and it is hopefully something that we can we can deal with. Um, let me ask you this one. From Tom Canton, who is at Tom Canton Media on Twitter, he says, imagine this hypothetical scenario. We've reached the end of the window and we've secured Mudrick but exhausted all our alternative striker and central midfield options, leaving us with one final choice. Would you recall following Balagoon or Charlie Patino, both or neither? Well, <laughs> we had a question on the Discord as well. I got a shout out from Dan Keenan saying, bring back Pepe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't know about that. <laughs> well, I mean... Mm, Yes, personally, I think in that situation, I would recall Balogun, actually. I think I would. But I don't think Arsenal will. I think what about you? I think that's probably right. I think that's probably right. If you If you wanted another striker, it seems like the easiest way to get one, if you have exhausted all your other options. But like you, I don't think Arsenal would unless there was something much more serious. Like if they got an update on Gabriel Jesus, you know, on January 29th to say, I'm touching wood here, by the way, you know, to say that the injury was going to take another couple of months longer than they thought. Mm. I suspect that might change their minds on it, but I think they're looking at this one as a a development for him and he's doing pretty well in Liga, and I think they will leave him there unless there's absolutely no choice. Yes. Only Kylian Mbappe and Neymar have scored more goals in Liga this season. It's 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 really impressive. It's really impressive. It it's is not... for a side as well that doesn't, um, yeah. uh, doesn't create or score many no. in comparison to those other teams, you know? No, he scored... Uh... 10 goals uh, this season, and they have scored 20. So, mm. uh, you know, it's not that we Eddie's not the only academy striker doing well right now. There is another one out there, and it's an interesting one that mm. you know, we talk about assets and marketable players. I mean, does it come to a point in time where you have to make a choice between Eddie and, and Flo Balogun? I don't know. Maybe. But maybe, but, you know, Arsenal are in a strong position. They play, they've got a good hand currently with those two. Um, but if it was down to me and it was the choice between bringing in a forward or not, 
and I had a button I could press that would put Balogun into the first team squad, I would be very, very, very tempted. Very tempted indeed. I think so. When you look at like one of the final, I know we've got Reese Nelson out injured and Gabriel Jesus is injured and everything else, but you know, we have Nathan Which Butler or Yadeji. So, you know, he's a 20 year old forward, but that tells you that there isn't the depth at center forward. And we know that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it would be a tempting one, you know, because like even six months, six good months on loan could be really beneficial for him when he comes back. If he came back, Balagoon, for example, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably that. We've, um, We've covered most things. We have. There is one final question, though, that I would like to ask you. Oh, please. comes from the Discord. Uh, It comes from Stickers. And he said, when is the last time you were on top of a car and why? Great question. Saw people standing in the car park at Oxford, standing on the top of a car, watching the game over the fence. I think I'm happy to say that I've never been atop a car. That's a lovely way of... I've never been atop a car. Mm. I have take you? the paper in the morning and I've never been atop a car. <laughs> um, the most English thing I've ever said. It certainly is. Have I ever been on... Have I stood on a car? I'm pretty sure I have. But not in a not in a good way. I think I might have run over a car once when I was young and drunk and stupid. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm not proud of it. But that car is that car is dead now. It's gone. Would be twenty five years ago. It's just a cube in a wrecking yard now. It never recovered, really. Yeah, that's it. Completely fucked the suspension. But it's quite um, um it's quite a fun thing to see, isn't it? Things like that. It's like when you see um, I think there's a couple of Spanish grounds where there's like apartment blocks which allow people to sit on the balcony and just look in and they probably see 80% of the pitch, but just not the the goal that's closest to them. I always like those. This is what I'm saying, Andrew. We're not going to get that at the Etihad. End the cup now. We need to get these smaller grounds into into the game a bit more, yeah. There's more scope for creative watching. Right, I agree. I I love people watching a game from a... A balcony or a lamppost. A tree. Look at the tree. It's hanging over. There's like eight guys on a branch. And a crow. A crow and probably Probably. a fucking magpie or two. Fucking magpies. All right. We do leave it there. We'll leave it there. We've got a North London derby coming up at the weekend. So we will, of course, talk about that a bit later in the week. We'll have a preview podcast over on Patreon. We'll have a regular Arscast for you on Friday as well. For now, as ever, thank you very much indeed uh, for listening and for being with us and for enjoying the, the magic of the cup, even if it's not as magic as it could be. And we'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 